Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read uh, one verse. It's Acts chapter 28 and verse number 30. And it's the last verse in the book of Acts. With some trepidation (laughs) and uh, a little bit bittersweet for me personally coming to our end of the study in the book of Acts. But while we might be done with Acts, Acts is not done with us is kind of the way that I think of it. What would you do if you could do whatever you wanted to do? I think Acts 28.30 answers that of Paul. What a wonderful way to conclude the book of Acts that Paul finally gets to do what he really wants to do. He lived. Number one, he got to live a little bit longer. He lived there too. There is Rome where he always wanted to be. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Father, this is as, as, uh, as good as it gets, say, from being in heaven. To proclaim the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Father, we recognize and understand once we do get to heaven, we won't be preaching the gospel anymore. We'll just be celebrating it. Because all those that will be there are reconciled to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. So help us to understand that really there's only one thing that we can do here and now that we won't be doing there. And that is to proclaim the gospel to those who've either not heard or not yet believed. So I pray whether you give us two whole years or 20 more years or two more days or two more hours, Father, we recognize that we're not in control of that, but I do pray that you would give us this same ambition that Paul had to welcome others, to proclaim, and to teach all about Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. And amen. Well, you can keep your Bibles there to Acts 25. We'll look at a couple other scriptures to supplement But here's where we are. The sermon title is, What to Take Along on the Journey to the Eternal City. Now, you might know this, that in those days, Rome was known as the Eternal City, right? And Paul, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, has been on his way there. When we get to Acts 28, he finally arrived, right? After shipwrecks and snake bites and people not listening to his wise counsel, he finally arrived there. And the number one reason he arrived there was what? God had told him that he would, right? And so if you look back over these verses, most everything that could have prevented him from getting there, his own health concerns, uh, uh, natural disasters, supernatural opposition, he got where he was going. He got to the eternal city. And I just say on the front end, friends, you're going to get there. You're not going to get there to Rome necessarily, but you are going to get to the eternal city. Amen? Now, when I pack and go some places, uh, Julie will testify to this. I am the classic overpacker. I always pack too much. I mean, uh, uh, when I go on a trip, I start to think through everything that could possibly be happen. It could rain or not rain. So I need the clothes I'd wear if it rains, clothes I'd wear if it doesn't rain. I might read these 10 books. I don't know what mood I'm going to be in, so I'm just going to pack them all, right? I'm going to take all these books. Uh, we might swim, we might not swim, so on and so forth. I overpack. I tend to overpack. Usually I pack once, and then after I've packed once, I go back and start to try to, 
And I did this for a trip that I'm taking this weekend, and then I didn't end up uh, unpacking anything. I still took it all. But you, you know that as you prepare to go to a place, where you're going does determine what you pack along the way, right? Now, how many of you like to snow ski? If you're going snow skiing, you pack us differently than if you're going to go to the sunny beach, right? I mean, if you're going to go to the beach, you're not going to take your snow skis. I, don't, I mean, I guess you could, but there would be no point in it, right? Or if you're going to go snow skiing, you're not going to pack your bathing suit. Where you're going determines what you take with you along the way. So with that in mind, a simple question on the front end is, where are you going? Have you thought through this? I mean, where you think you're headed determines what you're doing today, right? Where you think you're going in the future has a lot to say about what you're doing now. Now, a quick time out is, I think the way a lot of people live is they don't even really think about where they're going. They're just existing. Sort of like when you throw a stick into the river and the river's current just takes it. Some people live their life that way. They don't, they don't really see life as heading in a certain direction. But the scripture teaches, Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, that everybody is headed in a certain direction. Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to, you want a destination? Destruction, and many are they that find it. Narrow, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are they who find it. So it's worthwhile, as we think back through the book of Acts, that Paul knows that he's going to the eternal city. Yes, Rome, but he also knows, of course, that he's headed to glory with Jesus. In his commentary on the book of Acts, Kent Hughes writes this, Paul withstood, and if you think through uh, all that we've studied about Paul, here's a summary. Paul withstood the heady intellectualism of Athens. Remember Athens? Thought he was like a hayseed country bumpkin, right? The corruption of Corinth, the violence of Ephesus. In Jerusalem and Caesarea, he was magnificent amidst the abuse of his kinsmen and the Roman governors. He was absolutely amazing as he inspired courage in others during the storm and the shipwreck described so vividly in the book of Acts. And friends, this morning, we're not only coming to a conclusion in the study of Acts, we're also kind of coming through a two-part that we studied through Luke and Acts. And Luke, the physician, wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And if you think about it, he sort of does structure both books in the same way. The Gospel of Luke ultimately is primarily about Jesus going from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we follow him along the way. Acts, ultimately, is about Paul going from Jerusalem to Rome. Both of the narratives are about somebody going somewhere for a specific purpose. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, your faith is very much rooted in those two journeys, right? That Jesus goes to Jerusalem on your behalf to purchase your salvation, right? He who knew no sin went to Jerusalem to become sin. And we're about to celebrate the next couple of weeks around the, uh, around the reality of Easter that Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 23, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for you have testified to me about facts in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That's what the Lord said to the apostle Paul. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your faith is rooted in those two journeys, those two destinations. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and most of us, I would imagine, come from a Gentile background. And so if you come to faith, it's uh, uh, very much in line with what Paul's ambition was. So here's our approach 
this morning is uh, what to pack for the journey to the eternal city. I'm going to give you a couple things that just got to be left behind. That if you tend to be an overpacker, here are some things you just got to set aside. And then I want to highlight some things from Acts 28 and what we've already studied from Paul's life to highlight a handful of things that you need to take along on the journey, right? Never gotten somewhere and man, oh, what I needed, I left behind, right? We don't want to leave some of these things behind. So let's pray to that end, and that's going to be our approach this morning. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that first of all, by the Holy Spirit, you would teach all of us the reality that we're all headed somewhere. We're all going a particular direction, either that's going to end in destruction or that's going to end in life. And I pray in Jesus' name, I do, I pray right now in Jesus' name, if there's anyone here this morning who's on the wide road to destruction, the grace of God and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross would intervene on their behalf and rescue them from that destination. Father, for those of us who are gathered who are believers in Jesus and are headed to the true eternal city with you forever, I pray that you would uh, specify if there's some things that we're trying to carry along that just need to be laid aside and to fortify in us what we've got to have with us along the way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's take the things that we've got to leave behind first of all. You hold your spot there in Acts 28. But speaking of the good Dr. Luke, let's turn back to his gospel and the ninth chapter. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse number 57. But even as you turn there in Luke 9, verse 57, I want you to uh, look up there, just glance real quick, in Luke 9, 51 is the verse I already referred to. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, pop quiz, what was going to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem? Absolutely nothing. Now, you think about this for a moment. Nothing's going to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem. What is he going to do when he gets there? He's going to be crucified. And I want that to rest on you for a moment. Nothing was going to stop Jesus from doing everything he needed to do for you to be reconciled to God the Father. Amen? Nothing was going to stop him. And so that's verse 51. But as he's going along that journey, I want you to notice there's a few people that he specifies aren't along with him. Luke 9, verse 57. We'll go on and read verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, parenthetically, to where? To Jerusalem. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, quick, that's a pretty dramatic statement, isn't it? As a matter of fact, when it comes to Jesus, that's kind of a statement we want people to make, isn't it? I mean, if we had the invitation this morning and I'm standing here and somebody comes up and says, man, I want to follow Jesus wherever you go. I just have to be honest. My inclination would be to say, amen. Praise God for that. But Jesus doesn't respond that way. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, so I just want you to see, we're going to get a kind of comprehensive look at this. First encounter, somebody comes up to him. Second encounter, he goes up to somebody. To another, he said, follow me. Same words he said to Peter and Andrew at the Sea of Galilee. Same words he said to James and John. And you, you might recall when he said that statement to them, they immediately left their nets. But notice what happens here. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, something's particular is going on here. We'll get back to it in a moment. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, I want you to see this, no one, you see it? There's not exceptions. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here's the first thing that has to be left behind. Number one is a me-first, selfish attitude. Got to leave that behind. Three encounters about what following Jesus is not, and I'll give them to you quickly. We won't spend a lot of time here. Number one, it is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's what uh, uh, Luke 9.57 says. And we can always diagnose what's really going on in somebody's life by how Jesus responds. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. We're just coming off a scene up in Luke 9.51 through um, 55 where Jesus enters a village and they don't welcome him. They don't want him there. And so what's going on here is this person who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus is giving a diagnosis as he thinks that following me is comfortable. We don't even know where we're going to sleep tonight. Can you imagine the king of kings has nowhere to rest his head? You remember when he was born, where do they, where do they put him? Feeding trough. There's no room for you in the inn. And when he dies, where do they bury him? In a borrowed tomb, which is okay because he was just going to use it for three days anyway and come right up out of there. But that's the world's response to Jesus. They've got no place for him and friends. If you're going to follow him, you just have to know that on the front end. They've got no room for him, no place for him, no room in, his, uh, in, 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 in their politics, no room for him in their religion, no room for them in their society, no room for him in their decisions. And it was true then, it's still true right now. It's not comfortable. And secondly, it's not convenient. It's not convenient. This guy wanted to follow Jesus. The second one to another said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And I think what's going on here in that culture, in that time and place, is when a, a, a man's father would die, he would get his inheritance. You know this, we're a couple of chapters away from the parable of the prodigal son. A man came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the inheritance that's coming to me. When that would often happen is when a father would die. And so it was a great insult when the prodigal son did say that to his father. But what this man is saying is there will be a season in my life when it's more convenient for me to follow you because I probably just heard Jesus say, I don't have anywhere to stay tonight, so what I'll do is I'll wait to have a little bit of money, and if we get in that predicament, I'll pay or something. You know, that seems to be what's going on. So it'll be more convenient at another time. And friends, some people spend their whole lives in that spot. Wait, wait, let me first. Let me first. Let me, have you got to let me first that you're telling the Lord? Let me first finish school. Let me first wait till the children are grown. Let me first, let me first. Friends, if, uh, if you're saying first back to the Lord, that means he's not first. And you are waiting for a more convenient time according to your timetable. So it's not comfortable. It's not convenient. And then praise God, it's not really complicated. I will follow you, Lord, verse 61. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, it's not complicated. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So first thing we have to leave behind is a me first selfish attitude. Quick question. As we've studied through Paul after his conversion, what's a me first selfish moment Paul has in his life? Can you think of one? When the brakes didn't go his way, so to speak, things weren't fair. Doesn't he demonstrate over and over and over again? Oh, I loved our fighter verse from last week 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on what? The form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, most people do the very opposite. Jesus actually is God, and he has equality with God the Father. And then we're not, but we, we count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know what Adam and Eve are doing in the garden? Yeah, he said, not to eat this fruit, but I want it for myself. And then having counted equality with God a thing to be grasped, we don't take on the form of a servant. We try to take on the form of a, of a master, really, and do what we want to do when we want to do it. Hey, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you're serving. And nothing's more contrary to the uh, a servant than a me-first selfish attitude, all right? So Holy Spirit shines the light in your heart. You say, hey, you're living as a selfish husband right now. You are not entering your home desiring to love your bride as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This just needs to be a check in your life. Entering the church to be served and not to serve. Well, man, if we're headed to the eternal city, and we could put it this way, friends. It's heartbreaking, but we see it. All those on their way on the wide path to destruction very much are rooted in me first, selfish attitude. Secondly, First item that has to be left behind, I don't know if item's the right word, but attitude, heart condition, is a me first selfish attitude. The second thing that has to be left behind, and man, we're hardwired for this, so we need God's help with this, is comfort and ease as the goals of life. Aren't we trained this way? That life's about comfort and ease. We just get comfortable and just have it at ease. That's the goal of life. Uh, do you think that's how Paul lived his life? In the same way we can say, uh, ask, do you see an example of a me-first selfish attitude, and we can't find one in Paul, do you ever see him looking for comfort or ease as the goals of his life? And Paul's that way because Jesus was that way. When Paul was thrown in prison in Philippi, or violence broke out against him in Ephesus, or the people in Corinth initially refused to even listen to him, or the shipwrecked on the road to Rome, were these things happening to demonstrate Paul was heading in the wrong direction or that he was headed in the right direction? I mean, isn't this true? Far too often we perceive difficulties and challenges as evidences that something must not be God's will for our lives, when instead, what seems, as we've studied through the book of Acts, is the more likely reality that they are actually evidences that we are headed in the right direction. Paul's story helps us understand these trials and tribulations are not evidences he was going the wrong way. They're evidences that he is going to the eternal city. A couple of nights ago, I had the great privilege of going to see a film uh, produced by Samaritan's Purse on uh, a couple of years ago when they had the Ebola outbreak in Liberia. And to follow these um, doctors and physicians, in particular the, the, the nurse and the, and the doctor who got, actually contracted Ebola, right? And it's well worth your time uh, to see it. Uh, and in fact, maybe we'll try to work it out that we'll see it here as a, as a church family before uh, too long if it's available. But um, there are so many great things. But the most remarkable person in the whole uh, uh, documentary to me was the physician who got Ebola. And at the end of it, he said a remarkable statement about how contracting Ebola to him was not evidence. It's not evidence that he was in the wrong place. It's actually evidence that he was in the right place doing the right thing, great risk for God. So this is a corrective that we need from the book of Acts, that comfort and ease are not the goals 
of life. So many opportunities opened up to um, Dr. Brantley, if I, or I might be getting his name wrong. I didn't jot it down, so forgive me if I got the name, uh, name wrong. He would be fine with it from what I saw of him, just remember the name of Jesus. And sitting down with the President of the United States, sitting down with officials at the CDC, doors that were open for him to proclaim the gospel to others because of the hardship. How much gospel advance is not happening because we desire ease and comfort? How many orphans are not cared for? How many people groups have not heard of Jesus? How many hurting souls are right around us with no one to talk or pray with because we want ease and comfort and just to be left alone? Here's what Paul knew. And here's, friends, what you need to know. Here's what I need to know. We're going to stand before Jesus. Nail-pierced hands and all, right? We're going to stand before the King of Kings who bore our sins who loved us to the uttermost, who gave us his spirit, who gave us his word, who gave us his presence. Now here's what we can praise God about. We will not give an account for our sin. Amen? And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we will give an account, you mark it down, of every opportunity we had, every dime we spent, every word we uttered, if you're a believer in Jesus, you will not stand before him to give an account of your sin, but we need to know we will stand before him to give an account of every opportunity we had. You remember the parable of the talents, right? And you know what? There's so many things to take from that, but you know uh, where uh, the master came and he gave different amount of money to different people and said, I'm going to return. You know what I take from that parable is the master showed up and they did have to give an account, right? You're going to give an account of how you lived your high school years, how you lived your college years, how you lived in your 20s and 30s and all through. We will give an account. Paul really met Jesus. And Jesus didn't turn his life upside down. He turned it right side up. It was not strange that Paul, that Paul met, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, it, it was not strange that Paul met Jesus and then his whole life became about declaring Christ to everyone he met. What would be strange is for anyone to think they have met Jesus and don't declare the gospel to everyone around them. Where you think you're headed tomorrow determines how you live today. So first of all, we leave behind a me-first selfish attitude. We leave behind comfort and ease as the goals of life. And the third thing we need to leave behind is self-reliance. Self-reliance, another thing that's hardwired into us. It's basically part of being an American, isn't it? That we are self-reliant. I don't need anybody's help. But here's the truth, friends. If you're going to ever share Jesus with anybody effectively, you need serious help. We're at the end of Acts. Can we turn back for a moment to the beginning? In Acts chapter 1. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. I want to read two verses, but you'll see how they go together pretty quickly. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them. All right, so Jesus, that's a strong word in the Greek. He said something. He, he ordered them. Here's a command. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Oh, quick time out. This is Jesus telling them not to go anywhere. I thought we were supposed to take the gospel everywhere. But here we have Jesus saying, no, you go to Jerusalem and I command you not to leave. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me, John baptized with water. 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Has the cross happened at this time? Yes, Acts 1. Cross is in the past, right? Has the resurrection happened? Yes. So why are they not ready to roll? Why are they not ready to go? Why are they not ready? Jesus has given the Great Commission. Go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Why, why, why not yet? And you know it, right? Why not? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. They're not equipped yet. They botch it, right? Friends, we read through the book of Acts, even when the Spirit comes at times, they botch it, right? But Jesus doesn't suggest, doesn't say it would be a good idea. The word here is ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Acts 1.8. But when but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want you to study some things with me grammatically here in this word. Now, he says when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses, right? He does not say when the Holy Spirit comes, then I want you to decide whether you'll be my witness or not. You see, they go together. One, before the Spirit comes, please don't go and be my witness. Why? Because it would be done in a self-relying manner. And friends, we can all agree on this. We've done about all we're going to do apart from the Holy Spirit, haven't we? You've done about all you're going to do in your life, in your family's life. You've done all the witnessing that you're going to do, bringing all the people, which, which really hasn't been much, right? I mean, isn't this a clear, crystal, clear distinction that Jesus is making? But then what I also feel very compelled to tell you is, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit cannot come in you and on you with power and then you not be a witness. They go together, amen? You see that from the scripture. The Spirit brings power to your witness, Acts 1.8. The Spirit brings power to your walk, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Spirit brings power to your words, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, you follow the pattern here. That's Scripture quoting uh, from three different books of the Bible, Acts 1.8, Acts 1.7, and I'm sorry, Acts 1.8, 2 Timothy 1.7, and 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Can you hear a pattern? Acts 1.8, 2 Timothy 1.7. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, and typically, Paul devotes the first few verses in his letters to just saying, hey, hope y'all are doing okay, and then when he gets down to business, what's the first thing he wants to talk about? Here's what I take it to mean, friends. Paul says many other wonderful things in 1 Timothy uh, 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, but until we get the Spirit deal right, we don't have anything right. Are you seeing that from the Scripture? The three, uh, two things that are, uh, um, um, all three references speak of power, and all three are at the beginning of the books. A sign again, I think that without the Holy Spirit, nothing in the remainder of these books will ever really be in our lives. When Julie and I were living in Memphis, Tennessee, when I was in seminary, we had a severe thunderstorm come through in the early morning hours, which was the strangest things I had ever seen because I come from North Carolina and we had the bad thunderstorms in the afternoon and the evenings. But this storm came in about 6 o'clock in the morning. And power was knocked out throughout most of the city of Memphis. Trees were down everywhere. It was a huge mess. 
the drive that usually took me 10 minutes to go to school took me two hours. And we were at, without power for 10 days in Memphis in August. I remember reading my books for class and stopping at the convenience store before I got home to buy a bag of ice, and I'd just keep putting the ice down the back of my shirt. AC's gone. 100 degrees every day. Julie and I found a movie theater around the corner that had power, and we went to six movies that week. <laughs> went to the latest showing. We stayed there as long as we could. But then 10 days, a pretty good amount of time, we just started making adjustments to life without power. We began to kind of sort of get by. It wasn't comfortable, but you just do what you got to do. And I can still uh, remember the moment when I was sitting there thinking, reading a, a, a book, and he heard the click. You know the click, right? The click. And the power came back on. And that cool air hit the back of my water down back with the ice. And I sent a chill down my spine, and I said, Hallelujah. <laughs> Has the power gone out, friends, in your life? Here's what can happen. Here's what can happen. Let's get this theologically down. You can be sealed with the Holy Spirit, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. You can look at Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, if you want to see what I, I'm, I'm getting at. When you become a believer in Jesus, Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. And He's the power source, amen? It's not our life, it's not our flesh that brings the power. He brings the power. But if we're not careful, we just sort of make adjustments rather than seek the face of God. You can never be unsealed by the Spirit, friends, but you can be unfilled. As David said, you can't lose your salvation, but you sure can lose the joy of your salvation. And it usually happens when we grieve the Spirit. And the Word of God says, here's the direction you can go, and you just say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. The Spirit is our helper and counselor for what? For this journey to the eternal city. The Spirit's the one saying, here's where we're headed. Here's where we're heading. Here's what's got to go. And when he says self-reliance and a, a comfort and ease is a goal of life and a me-first attitude's got to go, and we say, no, it's not going to go. I'm going to keep them. No progress is made in the fight against sin. You'll make no progress on your own. Be in the same rut. No progress in your sanctification, no progress in your witness, no progress in your knowledge for Christ, the things of God and the Holy Word of God will seem passe and all uh, not that interesting, just boring, quite frankly, apart from the Spirit bringing illumination. Amen? So I just say that as an encouragement. There's a power going out in your life and you've just begun to make some adjustments. Well, the power can come back on. You don't have to wait for the Memphis power and light or whoever was coming. It's about the Spirit of God, we need help, friends. We can't do what he told us to do in this book on our own. You want a statement of uh, putting to death self-reliance. This is Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and the life I live, I no longer live in the flesh, but I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. So quickly, uh, now that we've said here's some things, you identified some stuff that needs to be left behind, Let's see some things that need to be taken with us. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. You know the harrowing uh, journey that Paul got uh, from Jerusalem to Rome, two years locked in prison in Caesarea, then finally out of Caesarea on his way to Rome, and uh, uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and he finally gets to shore, and then he's bitten by a snake, and he f gets through that, and finally, finally, finally gets to Rome. What's Paul going to do when he gets there? 
Verse 17, Acts 28. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. Everywhere he went, this is what he did. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. They had something against me. I didn't really have anything against them. But they wouldn't let it drop. That's what he's saying. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. You think Paul's going to be ready to share? For with regard to this sect... We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Bigger crowds come now. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets met them where they were, was ready to talk about Jesus. And some of them, some of them were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. Friends, you share the gospel, two things are going to happen. Some of them are going to believe, and some of them are not. Disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. You want to know what it looks like when a people try to do the things of God apart from the Spirit of God? That's what the prophet's talking about. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who were with him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Let me give you three things quickly that you want to take. Number one, an unceasing devotion to proclaim the gospel. Unceasing devotion to proclaim the gospel. We've not seen one city Paul traveled to that he did not share the gospel. And it's all different, isn't it? Sometimes he travels free to a city. Sometimes he goes to a city chained to a guard. Sometimes he's in a church. Sometimes he's on a city street. Sometimes he's surrounded by people eager to listen. And sometimes he's surrounded by people quick to shout him down. And everywhere he goes, he has one purpose in mind, to proclaim the gospel. You're right there in Acts 28. The next book is Romans. And I want you to flip to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, look at these words together. One, you got to carry with you, friends, an unceasing devotion to share the gospel. Romans 15, 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other words, this is why I say and how I live, how I love people. They go together, friends. And go and look what he says in verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition, a wonderful word, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's ambition was to proclaim Christ to those who had never heard, and it's a worthwhile ambition, isn't it? What's your ambition? I think we need to follow Paul's lead here. I think it's wise for us to determine specific people we will make it our ambition to reach. 
Paul's ambition was, I'll take the gospel to where it's never been named. That was his ambition. And then we should seek and pray that God would open specific doors for us. Perhaps your specific people will be widows, moms of young children, orphans, those struggling with substance abuse and addiction, middle schoolers, college students, Muslims, business professionals, the people that are at the gym the same time that you are, the people that sit in the same classroom every day that you do at your workplace or on your street, and you make it your ambition, that's the word Paul used, to proclaim the gospel. Friends, failure is not someone hearing the gospel and not believing. For the Christian, failure is them never hearing at all. So look for a place to start, right? Paul often asked, and you don't have to turn there, in Colossians, he said, uh, would you please pray that God would open a door for me to proclaim the gospel, and then I would proclaim it boldly as I ought to, right? You want to know what the most likely open door will be? Is to love somebody unconditionally who's going through the toughest season of their life. It's the most likely open door. Where do you get that? The ministry of Jesus. Walks into a city, and there's a blind man. Gets off a boat, and there's a woman with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. There's Jairus, whose daughter is barely hanging on. Goes, uh, and that's after coming from um, uh, the demoniac, right? That's the most likely. There's someone around you that, whose burdens you can help bear to love in a real practical way, in word and in deed, right? Paul, we, Paul, you obviously know this, but I just say it. Paul, Paul didn't go to a city and uh, get behind a lectern and just speak for two hours and then sh- he lived with them, loved them, worked with them, prayed with them. I did not shrink back from declaring you to the whole counsel of God publicly and from house to house, right? Prepare to walk through the door when it's not convenient and when it's not comfortable but you died to those two things when you came to faith in Jesus to begin with, didn't you? Second thing, first way, unceasing devotion to proclaim the gospel. I make it my ambition to reach fill-in-the-blank. Prayerfully, every spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ would have a way to answer or fill in that blank. My ambition is to proclaim the gospel too. Second item, we're going to take, take contentment no matter the circumstances. Amen? Won't re-preach last Sunday's sermon? But if you're going on a journey towards the eternal city, you need to choose contentment at the starting gate, right? You cannot wait for contentment to come as a result of the circumstances on the way to the eternal city. You choose contentment in Christ no matter the circumstances. Paul said, I've learned in any and every circumstance to be content. And the way he learned that was probably by going through a whole lot of stuff that was not comfortable and was not convenient. You might find that this is the surest way Uh, another sure way to have uh, open doors to share the gospel is when you yourself are the one going through great difficulty and in spite of that you're content and joyful in the lord in the midst of hardship others will notice paul leaves passes the baton to timothy and timothy by and large came to faith in christ because he saw paul in lystra when they threw stones at him until they thought he was dead and then they left him there and then paul barely hanging on to breath in his lungs gets up and goes back into the city And then third thing we'll do real quick is a willingness to make the best use of the time. Got two years, welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, 2 Timothy, all written during those two 
years. We'll close by looking at 2 Timothy. Likely the last letter he wrote while living the events of Acts 28. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, <laughs> risen from the dead. The offspring of David has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. You know where he is now, right? He's in Rome, Acts 28. Oh, I love this. But the word of God is not bound. Do you see it? Love it. I'm bound, but the word of God's not bound. Who am I going to share the gospel with? I'm chained to this guy, I'm going to, I'm, this Roman guard. I'm going to share it with him. And then 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, I'm already being poured out, Timothy, as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought, Timothy. Fought the good fight. I fought it in Philippi. I fought it in Ephesus. I fought it in Corinth. I fought it in Lystra. I fought it in Caesarea. I fought it in Jerusalem, in Thessalonica, in Galatia. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What's he saying, man? I'm coming up on the eternal city. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also who have loved his appearing. Friends, I was trying to get something that was a little bit uh, not so simple. <laughs> Can we end on a more complicated or deep thought? But here's the simple thought. Paul said, I'm headed to the eternal city. And in 2 Timothy, he says, I'm just about there. And we'd be able to look at his life and see here's the things that he left behind. Me first, selfish attitude. Goal of ease and comfort in my life, right? Here's what, here's what I carry with me. I've got an ambition to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to make the best use of the time, and I'm going to choose to be content. And it's a real simple thought, but here we go. The, the journey that Paul took to get there is the same way for you to go. So here's a simple thought. Ready for it? It'd kind of be foolish, wouldn't it? If we thought we could go along the same way to get to the same place that Paul went and not live like he did, right? Wouldn't it be silly? We're going to stand together and we're going to pray together. And it's real simple today, the invitation. Is there anything that we covered that needs to be left behind, that you, you got packed up, you overpacked on this journey? This is some stuff that needs to be left behind. Anything that Paul is carrying with him, right? Still wrestling with contentment or wrestling to make the best use of the time. Making an ambition. We're going to pray together. Pastor Josh is going to stand right here at the front. If you've got a burden, a concern, you want to pray with the pastor, he's going to stand right here. And um, I'm going to slip out and get ready for, uh, for baptism that we'll cl close the service with today. But before we just try to move on to the next thing, would you bow your heads with me? And then just repeat this real simple point. Paul lived a certain way as he was on his way to the eternal city because he'd met Jesus. Jesus didn't turn his life upside down. Jesus turned his life right side up. Has that ever happened for you? 
Friends, you can't, you can't go from Jerusalem to Rome apart from understanding what Jesus did when he went from Galilee to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? You need a return for the power source. You've been trying to serve the Lord in your own self-reliant way. Well, we'll just allow the Lord, Holy Spirit now, to bring what he brings, healing. Sometimes that comes in the form of conviction. Hey, here's something that needs to get right. Sometimes that comes in the form of encouragement. Now keep going this way. We're going to get there. We're going to finish the race. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd reveal. And for many of us, it'll be both. Some things that have got to go. Been here in a season of my life where I'm just me first and I'm selfish and that has got to go. Or I keep returning to this, how we're raised and how our culture is, that the goal is ease and comfort. And I keep looking for those things. And Father, help us to know that hardship isn't necessarily indicative that we're going in the wrong direction. Sometimes that is, means we're headed in the right direction. So, so Father, I pray that you'd help us to take what we need, an ambition, a gospel ambition. I am going to take the gospel here. Make the best use of the time. Lead our time of invitation, Lord. Help us to respond in a way that um, honors the Savior who purchased our redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.